Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's episode, we are talking about endometriosis. March is endometriosis month, so I thought this is the perfect time to cover this topic. In this episode, we are covering everything from who's affected to what is it, and we're even going to talk a little bit about treatment here today. So this is our first episode in our mini-series on endometriosis. All right, last night's masterclass was so much fun. If you missed it, you totally missed out. But don't worry, I have another opportunity for you to go to my Empowered in the Bedroom Debunking the Myths course. You will not want to miss it, I promise. We are talking all about the myths that we were taught growing up and debunking those and talking about what the truth is about our body and our pleasure. You will not want to miss this. This is the last opportunity to get this masterclass. We will be live March 13th at 1 p.m. Pacific Time or 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So be sure to go sign up at masterclass.jordandonnell.com. My sexy box is also right around the corner. They are flying off the shelves on March 15th into local homes. My sexy box is a quarterly subscription box with lots of super fun items. Each box is valued at over $100 in product and it's super fun. It's a great way to try new things in the bedroom and to spice it up a little bit. Highly encourage you get your sexy box by going to sexybox.vaginasvulvasandvibrators.com. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this one. There's only a couple days left to get your sexy box, so be sure to get that now before they run out. In this episode, we are going to talk more about endometriosis, and I'm sure you may have heard of this term. You might know a friend or a family member who has endometriosis, but you're not totally exactly sure what it is. So we're going to cover all of that. Before we get into endometriosis, I think it's really important to understand the uterus. In the uterus, we didn't really talk much about when I did my first anatomy podcast because I kind of gave you the general overview. So we're going to go a little bit deeper into the uterus, and then we will get into more about endometriosis. The uterus is the female reproductive organ that is the home of a fetus, ultimately. It's a muscle that's a little bit smaller than the size of your fist, and there's four parts to the uterus, the fundus, the body, the isthmus, and the cervix. So at the top of the uterus is the fundus, and that connects to the fallopian tubes. The body or the corpus of the uterus begins below the opening of the fallopian tubes and this is the area where a fetus or an embryo typically attaches. The body extends until it reaches the isthmus or the neck of the uterus. The isthmus begins to close off the uterus and then it becomes the cervix. The cervix opens into the vaginal canal or the birthing canal. The uterus is a strong fibrous muscle tissue. It's supported in the pelvis by a collection of ligaments. This organ is just so amazing in that it allows you to carry a life and then it shrinks and it stretches that whole time and then it shrinks back down to normal size 
within about six to eight weeks after childbirth. Like it's just an amazing organ. To understand how that works a little bit more, I want to talk a little bit more about the layers of the uterus. So the inner layer is the endometrium. And the endometrium is what builds up over a menstrual cycle and then sheds during menses. Keep the word endometrium in mind because that is something we're going to talk a little bit more about when it comes to endometriosis. The next layer deep to the endometrium is going to be the myometrium, which is the middle layer, and that's primarily made of smooth muscles. So that's where your contractions and all of the force comes during childbirth. Deep to that, or uh, further out, would be the parametrium, which is the outer layer of tissue that lines the outside of the uterus. So that endometrium, if you remember when we talked about the menstrual cycle, each month it builds up with rising estrogen and then you ovulate and if pregnancy doesn't occur it sheds and that's your menses. By definition endometriosis is a painful condition where the tissue that lines the inside of the uterus grows outside the uterus. So when the endometrial tissue is outside of the uterus it's called implants. This tissue is very sensitive to fluctuating estrogen throughout the cycle. They grow and bleed just like the uterine lining during the menstrual cycle, and that can cause the surrounding tissues to be irritated, inflamed, and swollen. It can also result in scar tissue called adhesions, and adhesions can cause organs to stick together. These implants can adhere to a variety of different tissues outside of the uterus. It can adhere to your intestines, your bladder, this can affect your digestion, your bowel movements. It can cause pain. Some of the most common sites for endometriosis to occur is on the ovaries, the anterior and posterior cul-de-sac, which is the space behind the uterus, the posterior broad ligaments, the uterosacral ligaments, the pouch of Douglas, the bladder. So there's a lot of different places that these implants go to, but those are kind of the most common ones. According to ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, 1 in 10 women have endometriosis. So it is very common. It's a very common condition. And unfortunately, this condition takes multiple doctor's appointments and a lot of time before reaching that diagnosis, even though it's so common. The cause for endometriosis is really not known. Something that they think contributes is this retrograde menstrual cycle blood flow theory, where with your menstrual cycle, instead of your menses flowing through your cervix and out your vaginal canal, it flows backwards through your fallopian tubes into your pelvis ultimately. But they really don't know. And there's been studies where if somebody has a cervix that's blocked off, not all of those women end up with endometriosis. So not everything really supports that theory, but that's kind of just the theory that's out there right now. Some of the things that are thought to have an increased risk of endometriosis would be if you've never given birth, if you have increased estrogen exposure, so you started your period at an early age or you have late menopause, if you have shorter menstrual cycles, if you have really heavy menstrual bleeding, 
if you have obstruction of menstrual outflow, so like I was mentioning where like your cervix is closed off, if you are really tall, if you have a low BMI, and if you have high consumption of trans-saturated fats. Something else that's really important to know is that for women who have had exposure to severe physical or sexual abuse in childhood or adolescence are at an increased risk of endometriosis as well, which is a very interesting fact that I learned probably about five years ago. And I just thought that that was something that we don't necessarily think about that's really important to be aware of, especially as providers. Now, a couple things that decrease your risk is multiple childbirths, extended intervals of lactation. So if you're breastfeeding for a long period of time, you started your period at a later age, and if you eat a lot of omega-3 fatty acids, that actually decreases your risk. So the average woman is diagnosed with endometriosis somewhere between like the age of 25 and 40. It depends on what source you use, but I would say right around there is pretty consistent with multiple sources. And on average, it takes about seven to 12 years for a diagnosis of endometriosis. So that means that these women are suffering for years before they ever get their diagnosis and are able to kind of have an idea of what's going on with their body. Some of the symptoms of endometriosis are going to be painful periods or dysmenorrhagia, painful sex or dyspareunia, chronic pain, infertility. So crazy, but about 40% of women with infertility have endometriosis. Up to 70% of women with pelvic pain are diagnosed with endometriosis. For some women, they may not have any symptoms and others, they may have severely debilitating symptoms. Some other symptoms you may or may not see would be abnormal uterine bleeding, low back pain, chronic fatigue, bowel or bladder dysfunction. So if you have the adhesions or the implants on your bowel or bladder, that can cause some pain with urination. It can cause constipation, things like that. And really heavy periods are also something that you can see with endometriosis. When it comes to the workup for endometriosis, it's a little bit tricky because the only way to actually get an official diagnosis of endometriosis is to have a surgical procedure done or a laparoscopy where they look inside the pelvis and visually see these implants. A physical exam likely is going to be normal. The lab tests likely going to be normal unless you have some other things going on. Usually you're not going to see anything on either of those. You may get some imaging and a lot of times you might do a transvaginal ultrasound. You may see an ovarian cyst with that. When it comes to endometriosis, these ovarian cysts a lot of times are called endometriomas or chocolate cysts. And they're a cyst on the ovary that is fluid filled with old blood. And so when you pop them, it kind of looks like chocolate. I had the opportunity to see these when I was working in fertility and one of our IVF patients had an endometrioma and we drained it for her while we were doing, after we completed her IVF 
procedure, her egg retrieval. I got to see kind of what that fluid looks like. And it's a very, just, you know, looks like chocolate, kind of chunky, old blood material. If you have an endometrioma, that would be consistent for a diagnosis of endometriosis. However, by definition, the only way to diagnose endometriosis is with a laparoscopy. If you have a laparoscopy, what that is, is they go in and look in your abdomen. Usually that's going to be done via robot. So they'll kind of like put three holes in and they'll, they'll just literally, it's called an exploratory laparoscopy. They go in and look. If they see any implants, a lot of times part of the treatment plan is to go ahead and remove those. The treatment can be kind of tied in with that diagnosis. One of the reasons why the surgical procedure is delayed is because of the risk of surgery. And part of the delay in, in all of that is that it overlaps so many other conditions that they don't want to put you through surgery right away if they haven't ruled out all the other potential options. During a laparoscopy, the lesions that you might see in the abdominal cavity are raised flame-like patches. You might see white patches, yellow-brown discolorations, translucent blebs, or reddish, reddish blue irregular-shaped islands. When I was doing laparoscopies in fertility, what I typically saw was those reddish blue or just the reddish islands on the organs. Those lesions a lot of times are going to be biopsied and removed, which is part of the treatment plan or one of the treatment options if you had kind of gotten to the surgical procedure. With a laparoscopy, something to keep in mind, the procedure is not typically done while you're on hormonal treatments or within three months of hormonal treatments, and that's because hormones have an effect on the endometriosis and can actually suppress it, and so you have an increased risk of not catching it during the procedure if you have recently been on hormonal treatment. Now, when they go in and do the surgery, there is a staging process and the stage does not correlate with the severity of pain which i think is really important to keep in mind stage one is going to be minimal some isolated implants no significant adhesions stage two would be mild you have some superficial implants that are less than five centimeters no significant adhesions Stage three is going to be moderate, where you have multiple implants that are superficial and deep. And then stage four is severe endometriosis, where you have dense adhesions that are usually present. You have multiple deep and superficial implants. So those are what you're kind of identifying when you go in and do the laparoscopy. When it comes to treatment, it's really based on the extent of the disease, the symptoms, and your family plans. So some treatment options are gonna be NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents, so ibuprofen, Aleve. Another option is gonna be hormonal treatments, so birth control or hormones to stop your period, so gonadotropin-releasing hormone analogs like Luperon or Zolodex. You may even do some aromatase inhibitors like Letrozole, which is actually a cancer treatment but it blocks an enzyme that increases estrogen levels. 
So that can be really helpful in the treatment of endometriosis as well. Another treatment option is when you're doing that laparoscopy, removing any of the tissue that is found. The laparoscopies can improve pain and potentially fertility. However, about 40 to 80% of women will have the pain recur within three years of surgery. So a laparoscopy is not a permanent solution always. For some women it is, but for other women within three years, they're going to start experiencing pain again. The final treatment option is a hysterectomy or a removal of the uterus. That decision, again, is based on your family plans and the extent of the disease and symptoms. For some women, a hysterectomy is the best option for them. Now, I don't know if you guys remember some of my prior episodes on the menstrual cycle. I talked about my favorite book, In the Flow, and In the Flow has wonderful recommendations, so I actually went back and took a look at it to see what recommendations she had made for women who have endometriosis. And some of the foods that she recommended are foods with anti-inflammatory properties like leafy greens, broccoli, salmon, bone broth, blueberries, flaxseed, or foods with increased magnesium like almonds, avocados, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, and black beans. Something to keep in mind is diet isn't necessarily an end-all be-all. However, some women do find improved symptoms when they follow a particular diet. So it may be worth it for you to try it if you have endometriosis. It may not work for you, but it's something to at least be aware of that you can control to try if that's something you'd like to do. She also recommends avoiding dairy, alcohol, gluten, and pesticide-ridden food and red meat. So those are all things that can aggravate the endometriosis as well. With endometriosis, the prognosis really kind of depends on the symptoms and severity. Something to be aware of is that during pregnancy, endometriosis, lesions, and the symptoms a lot of times actually improve or disappear. However, endometriosis does have an increased risk of preterm birth. So I hope this episode has given you a little bit more knowledge about endometriosis, what it is, what symptoms to look for, kind of how to diagnose it, and gives you a little bit better understanding of what maybe your friends are going through if they do have endometriosis, and a little bit more on that chronic pain that is potentially happening. So thank you for joining me today. This podcast is sponsored by Pure Romance by Jordan Jones, offering top bath and beauty products and relationship enhancement items. Check out the link in the bio to start shopping today. By shopping with Pure Romance by Jordan Jones, you are supporting this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.